Greetings, friends, and welcome to the What's Right Show. Sam Rajovsky here, your host, affectionately known as Nevada's favorite recovering Californian. Uh, Speaking of insane things done in blue states, the latest from New York State, the legislature there has instituted, voted in a ban, a state ban, on natural gas in all new buildings. This is hot off the presses, folks, and it is, I don't know if you remember back in January, there was a senior uh, government official who went on the record to say that uh, the White House would be pushing for the abolishment of gas stoves. And this thing, by the way, this almost as soon as this statement was uttered, the backlash was... Uh, significant people freaked out uh people were very unhappy about this and uh and let their displeasure be known and consequently of course they they backed away from it that was that was what they did i they backed away everyone backed away from it and and a number of notable democratic politicians spoke out about it now this is Oh, Chuck Schumer, for example, back in January, said nobody is taking away your gas stove. Then went on to, well, to blame shameless and desperate MAGA Republicans for showing us that they will cook up, (laughs) I guess that's a pun, cook up any distraction to divert from real issues. And um, he named the debt ceiling increase as one of those real issues. Um, now, these are the people that promised us that we could keep our own insurance. Never forget, never forget this, uh, well, the sea of broken promises from these clowns. So New York um, is the first state to effect this change. The Washington Post uh, reporting that um, they've become the first state in the nation to pass a law banning natural gas and other fossil fuels in most new buildings. Uh, They approved a $229 billion state budget. And part of that budget is a prohibition on natural gas hookups. Um, And that that extends to homes, right? And and, and even, as I understand it, probably most uh, commercial buildings. So the question, of course, uh, then that I have is, where is all of this electricity going to come from? Because the same environmentalist lobby that is pushing these changes doesn't have a real solution on increasing our energy needs. These are, these are people that are uh, quite vocal about their opposition to, well, what I think is one of the cleanest sources of energy, and that, of course, is nuclear power. Uh, they're fighting construction on nuclear power plants. You'll remember a few years ago, a liberal California, uh, California for those of you not initiated into the lingo of the program, California they 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 um they they decommissioned a nuclear power plant. Others have also fallen across the U.S. And so uh, you know there's we're all supposed to be driving electric cars. We're all supposed to be using electric cooktops. I suppose in New York State, how are people going to hook? you know, heat their homes in the winter. That's another interesting thing. By the way, it's very expensive 
to heat your home with with electricity. So you know, and 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 of course, it's an enormous uh, an amount enormous amount of power is required to do that to affect that. So. Uh, so look, I mean, you, you've, you're all of a sudden now put in a position where an enormous increase in uh, demand for electric power uh, will happen, and there's no real uh, plan here to uh, to produce that power. Uh, so this, uh, by the way, this is going to go in effect fairly soon, in 2026, and then in 2029 for taller buildings. There are exemptions for manufacturing facilities, restaurants. I guess uh, restaurants can cook with gas, hospitals, and even car washes. The fascinating thing for me is where, where did all of this come from? How did we get here? And the fact of the matter is, is that we've we've been hearing all of these various mm, ruminations. Proclamations. I'll put it this way. There's a piece here I found in the um, back from January when this was all blowing up. The National Review got into the gas stove controversy and did a piece uh, debunking the research behind the hysteria. Uh, by the way, again, when it comes to COVID, when it comes to trans kids, when it comes to, well, green energy, what you'll find, there's a common thread through all of this, right? It's a a fervent belief that something has to be done or else imminent harm will come and then the groups pushing it use bogus science. Now, what's interesting is that, and I didn't know this, but apparently the research on natural gas, particularly gas stoves, is extraordinary. I had no idea. This is something that's been researched and looked at in hundreds, literally hundreds of studies in the last 20 years. In fact, uh, I see here that there were, uh, going back to 2013, there were something like 300 different studies uh, on the effects of using gas cooktops. And here's the takeaway in almost all of the studies. And that is that as far as, you know, having harmful particulates in the air, harmful emissions. There's virtually no difference between gas and electric because the most harmful of the particulates that go into the air and supposedly cause asthma and other health problems for people is coming from the food that you're cooking. There's one study back in 2013 that literally had, uh, that, had that, that studied 500 kids worldwide. It was an enormous study. No evidence was found of an association between the use of gas as a cooking fuel and either asthma symptoms or asthma diagnosis. Now, what they did subsequently is they did, the environmentalists uh, themselves commissioned a few studies. There was one done in UCLA. There was one uh, done at Stanford. Both studies, by the way, cooperated with environmental groups. The UCLA study was funded wholly by the Sierra Club. Uh, the, uh, the, the Stanford study, they, they had another, they had, the researchers there acknowledged a staffer from RMI, one of the leading organizations, environmental orgs, that want to end the use of residential natural gas. So I think there's a, a bit of a, 
I don't know, a bit of a uh, conflict of interest there. Uh, they thanked her in the, uh, in the notes of the study for her insights and suggestions. I bet. <laughs> Thanks for helping us skew and make a bogus study. And what made these studies bogus? Well, I think this is important when you talk to people about this and you, can you believe New York actually went forward with banning gas stoves? By the way, the people at the White House 1,000% want to do this too. Mark my words. The more they deny it, the more, the more I, I'm convinced that they want to move forward with this. You got to understand why these studies are bogus. And the reason they're bogus is they, what they did is they literally sealed off the kitchen area where they conducted these studies and, and, and put plastic tarps up and made it and had zero ventilation. And that's not a real setup in a kitchen. By the way, these, all the previous studies basically say that uh, you're fine as long as you use a hood, even if it's just one that, that circulates air inside the room. So there is something not very exciting about a study that concludes that you just need to follow manufacturer recommendation in how you use your stove. Leave it to the Democrats to want to legislate everything in our homes right down to how we cook our food. Now, the greater worry, of course, is that this um, insanity is going to come closer to home, even to red states where this various, well, this kind of chicanery being pulled by the, uh, by the folks over there in the Department of Energy. Uh, and and it's, it's, it's all of it is bogus. The science behind it is bogus. And it's all part of this push, the Democrats and their Green New Deal. It's a total racket. They're still, they want more money, by the way. They are going to Congress right now asking for more money. They're asking for trillions of dollars to go carbon neutral. But when they are pressed for details, they don't have answers. It's all fugazi. It doesn't, it's not based on anything real. It's an effort to take control of our lives. And to the extent that we are freedom-loving people and we do not want the government dictating to us such banalities like how we cook our food, I suggest we pay attention and stand up to this. Elections have consequences. The vote matters. 2024 is big. The country could look very different in just a few short years if these lunatics are allowed to stay in power. All right, friends, taking a quick break here. Sam Rajovsky, you're listening to The What's Right Show. This hour brought to you by our friends at Sam and Ash Injury Law because you deserve what's right. If you've been in an accident, there's no reason to call a sleazy lawyer. It's not just about the settlement check. It's about representing your interests and your values. So call Sam and Ash at 702-820-1234 or visit samandashlaw.com. Welcome back. You're listening to the What's Right Show. Sam Rajovsky here. So this this crazy story out of New York State. I, I I understand it's in New York, right? I but but you got you got to understand that that just a couple months ago, four months ago, they were telling us no chance. We're not taking any of your gas stoves. We're not getting involved in it. Of course, now the Democrats there are doing just that. One of the funnier things here back uh, when this all was breaking, we had 
Chris Hayes on MSNBC talking about this precise thing. Um, and, and this is what he had to say. Turns out Fox News and Republicans are up in arms because they say the government is coming to take your stoves. Okay, now, as a rule of thumb, anytime you see them going crazy about something on Fox News, you've got about an 80% chance it's just outright nonsense. This is something we've been learning over the past years. More and more studies and more and more data is accruing that shows that gas stoves really can be dangerous. Now, I don't like this news. I too like cooking with gas stoves, but that's what the data say increasingly. Here's the thing, of course. No one is coming for your gas stove. No one is coming for your gas stove. Everything is fine. No problem. Now, here is what you have to understand about all this. There is an all-out war on fossil fuels, and the reason for it is because there is an enormous amount of money in the process of converting our economy, our way of life, our entire existence onto so-called clean energy, and it's a giant racket. It this, by the way, this, the, the, the results of this conversion can't really be properly measured. We found this out just the other day. There was a, a fabulous exchange. And I, we, we've, we've got it. It's, it, was, it was, this is the Deputy Energy Secretary in the Biden administration uh, getting grilled yesterday by Senator John Kennedy, Republican Louisiana, asking this guy, his name's David Turk, a Turk, by the way, has been a longtime uh, Biden crony, worked for him when he was a senator in his office. And he gets so this this guy gets he's, he's getting asked basically what happens if we appropriate this 50 trillion dollars on carbon neutrality? What does it get us? And listen to this back and forth. And if we spend 50 trillion dollars to become carbon neutral in the United States of America by 2050, you're the Deputy Secretary of Energy. Give me your estimate of how much that is going to reduce world temperatures. So, so first of all, it's a net cost. Um, it's what uh, benefits we're having from getting our act together and reducing all of those climate benefits. We're seeing. Let me ask again. Maybe I'm being right now. Maybe I'm not being clear. If we spent fifty trillion dollars to become carbon neutral by 2050 in the United States of America. How much is that going to reduce world temperatures? This is a global problem. So we need to reduce our emissions and we need to do everything we can. How much, if we do our part, countries. is it going to reduce so world we're temperatures? So we're 13 percent of global emissions. You don't right know, now. do you? You just want us to spend $50 trillion and you don't have the slightest idea whether it's going to reduce world temperatures. The guy can't even give us a range. But the biggest admission there, the largest single greatest admission is that uh, by their count, and this is you know probably an optimistic number uh, on their part, and optimism to them, of course, is qualified as, as, as uh, you know, alarming us as much as possible. We are only 13% of the whole world as far as what our carbon emissions are. China's a far bigger number. India, other industrialized countries, we're 13%. We want to bury our economy, change our way of life, ruin our country. 
devastate. Can you imagine the military? I know they 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 actually there are people advocating for EVs in the military. It's bananas. And even if we do everything perfectly, even if we go to zero emission-wise, even if every cow in America is fitted with a, (laughs) I don't know, what would it be? Some kind of catalytic converter, a filter to prevent nauseous emissions from entering into the Earth's atmosphere. Look, I mean, it's it's at this point you got to be you know funny about this. It's, it's it's hilarious, and if even if we do all of that, there thirteen percent is is nothing. It's nil, and China is laughing all the way to the bank because they are watching us self destruct. When I talk about the Democratic Party and these. Here it's the environmentalists. I mean, it's it's fantasy land, right? This none of this is real. And I have watched, have family, of course, in Europe, as as many of you know. And I I have watched Europe devastate itself because what happens in in Europe, and, and this is a, a a political side note, but it's it's a very important distinction between us and the Europeans is in these parliamentary systems, the governments that are formed there rely on there's a ton of parties right so they rely on having uh you know having coalitions built up of of various different groups and what happens is some of these even center-right coalitions have to you know get to that 50 percent level and there might be i don't know 22 or 18 whatever the number is quite a lot of parties that are elected into parliament so they have to form a coalition to get to the majority 50 percent plus one in order to do that a lot of them inv- have to form an alliance with the Greens. And every country has them. Every country has these environmental lunatics. And the problem is, is in Europe, is, is ultimately even some center-right governments, certainly center-left governments, then cater to the fringe, uh, the, the, the fringe environmentalists. Demand closure of nuclear power plants demand the end of fossil fuels, demand reliance on Russia. And then when they are sitting in their homes in 2023, freezing, then when I was just in the Czech Republic and I had was asking a friend of mine about energy costs and I had a, a, a buddy of mine tell me, well, yeah, you know, in my store, in my store, my, uh, my, because he has a small shop uh, in Prague, and I was asking about his power bill. He goes, let me tell you how bad it got. After the war began, it began, and it became clear that you know, there wouldn't be natural gas, the cost of electricity went up something like 800% overnight. And it's all because there is not adequate electricity. It's all because of the radical green agenda that is creating this kind of price pressure, and it's going to happen here too. So my goodness, we I hope we we wake up in all of this and, and realize that uh, that this needs to happen. All right, I want to talk about Justice Clarence Thomas. I, this is starting to really irk me, the attack on Clarence Thomas and the sheer hypocrisy of the le- leftists that are attacking him. I, I will get I'll give you details exactly what I mean. Don't go anywhere. The What's Right show will continue in just a few minutes. 
Sam Murchofsky here, News Talk 840 KXMT. Personal injury law is constantly changing. Uber and Lyft accidents aren't like other cases, but most law firms haven't kept up. Don't trust a new case to a lawyer who's stuck in the past. Call Sam and Ash, 702-820-1234, or visit samandashlaw.com. All right, I got my coffee. I'm sitting here at my desk, beautiful downtown Las Vegas, live and local. You're listening to the What's Right Show. Sam Rajofsky here, your, well, your friend, your guide through these troubled times. Little local story here. I got to mention this before we get to Clarence Thomas. So, I <laughs> don't know about you, when I moved to Nevada, one of my, I had two shocks uh, when it came to money, uh, and, and specifically to cars. My first uh, big shock was how much more it costs to register a car here in Nevada. I, I know we don't have uh, we don't have state income tax, so that's great. But even coming from California, I mean, I <laughs> I almost had to pick myself up off the floor when when I went to register my car. I go, this is a it was a nice car, okay? It is a nice car. I still have it. But it was, at that point, it was, I don't know, five years old. And, you know, didn't, the value of it wasn't what it was new. But the, the, the way that it works here, and, and you know this, I'm, this is not the point of the story, but I just, I was shocked how much reg- registration for it would be. And it took me a few days to recover. Um, but the other shock is uh, the car insurance, Right, the the rates uh, here in Nevada are significantly higher uh, than in California, for example, in many other states. And now the RJ today uh, put out an article how Nevada car insurance rates are, in fact, among the highest in the nation. We are at forty three out of fifty, so we are in the you know top twenty state uh, twenty uh, percent of the states uh, in terms of cost. Uh, for full car insurance coverage. Nevada is, and these are just the, the kind of the numbers, but these are averages, right? About 27, almost 2,800 per year, which is uh, $765 uh, higher than the national average. Um, the story here goes through some of the reasons for a 24-7 economy, but a lot of people who are visiting from out of town, <clears throat> Californians uh, driving around, don't know where they're going. I um, I have I'm going to offer some theories to this uh, first off uh, because of course I am a personal injury lawyer uh, during the day that's my that's my real job this is my this is my fun hobby that I get to enjoy for a couple hours Monday through Friday with you one to three p.m. <laughs> I have to tell you one I think uh, there's no doubt that we have more accidents. And a driving force behind that, you can blame the out-of-towners. You can, you can say it's 24-7. All that is true. Um, but but I, the roads are, one, the roads are always under construction. There's always a freaking cone somewhere, someplace, particularly now, but it's always been this way. And there's a reason, right? We call the, the traffic cone, the orange traffic cone is, what do we call that? The state flower of Nevada. <laughs> no. Right, so that's one problem. But also the way the roads are designed. I mean, some of these on ramps, folks. I, 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 I'm already used to it now because I've been here for a while. But I remember when I moved here, the, these on ramps, they didn't make any sense. 
they, they were, and, and by the way, even new interchanges. I, the spaghetti bowl. Yeah, the spaghetti bowl is one of them. But but even the, like the neon exchange, uh, the, the um, yeah, where you're, where you're the, the Charleston and the 15, that's all new. But, you know, the carpool lanes are going somewhere else than, than the regular lanes. It's, 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 it's not designed the best way, my opinion. And I see, of course, because it's my, my job, I see a lot of accidents occurring there. And, and I, I, I understand why. Uh, because if there's somebody that is going there, even a local person who is not particularly f- you know, familiar with a certain off-ramp or on-ramp, uh, they get themselves into trouble. And so that's one of the one of the causes for this. And then I will tell you, and I've talked about this extensively here on the program, there is an enormous amount of fraud uh, in this uh, in this fair city of ours. Um, I mean, I I remember when I when I when I got here and I, I started realizing a little bit how some uh, people who are in the uh, injury industry operate car accident uh, lawyers etc how they uh, get business uh, and I had I had some some people literally sit me down lawyers sit me down and say yeah, Sam you know what happens I mean they 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 create accidents here I mean they will and by, I'll tell you something to look for I found this out it, you, if you get into an accident with a car where there are four people in it none of whom know each other really well and they have pillows or comforters in the back window or in the back area if it's an SUV or station wagon. That's a setup. 90% sure it's a setup. And the reason for it is they've got it figured out. To this. So, you know, they, they'll, they'll get in front of you, they'll slam on their brakes, uh, or there'll be another car that kind of whizzes by and distracts you. You rear-end them. They've got the, the, the pillows and the, the, the stuff in the back there. So... They don't get hit with flying glass if the if the rear windshield shatters, uh, and then these these people all go to the same lawyer, and um, you know, yeah, we know we know who these lawyers are. Yeah, it's, you know, it's not me, it's not Sam and Ash, but it it you know, they're they're out there, and um, and and this is no doubt one of the reasons for some of these costs, uh, and and it is. It's it's very expensive to be insured here. So the, obviously the RJ story doesn't get into that. They don't want to touch it with a 10-foot pole, but I'm telling you here the straight scoop, this is a little bit of some, some uh, inside baseball on this to understand that there is an enormous amount of fraud uh, in this um, in the city, unfortunately. Now, um, let's talk about Clarence Thomas for a minute because – there has been an absolute unrelenting assault on Clarence Thomas. The, the last bit here was reported uh, late yesterday that Thomas was, the original report was that he was, he accepted a payment for his son's private school tuition. Now, what is, what actually turns out is that this is not his, his son, it's his grandnephew. And he and his wife took this boy in and helped, well, no, help, they, they raised him, right, in, 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 in lieu of, of his parents. And we don't know the background exactly of why this child needed, um, needed Justice Thomas and his wife to step in to that parental role. But they, they, they went in, what they call it, in loco parentis. They became parents of this child. I don't know if there was a formal adoption, but nonetheless, they took him in. And they ultimately, the kid went to a private school, and, and 
it turns out that this friend, a wealthy friend of Justice Thomas, uh, picked up the, uh, the bill for it. Now, the, the, the media is up in arms about it. Here is a snippet here just this morning of Joe Scarborough, morning Joe, him and Mika talking about this. And, and, and Joe's entire point is that if this were a liberal justice, a left-wing justice, they would be just as outraged to learn any of this. This is not, you see, it's not a left-right issue. It has to do with right and wrong. That's the lecture here. I want you to listen to this because Joe Scarborough could not be more wrong. This has been a horrible two years, two and a half years for Justice Thomas's legacy. And, yeah. and for Republicans who are, are, are trying to dismiss this, I can't even begin to imagine what would happen if it were Justice Sotomayor, My if Lord. it was Justice oh. Kagan. Please. If, 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 this, is, this is, again, let's be really clear about this. I, everybody at this table would be shocked and outraged mm -hmm. and be critical if this were a liberal justice. <laughs> Last night, Luke Rossiak, writing for The Daily Wire, dropped a story that I don't think Joe had an opportunity to see. Liberal Supreme Court Justice, guess who? Sonia Sotomayor took $3 million from a book publisher, and then when she was hearing a case involving the publisher, she didn't recuse herself from it. In 2010, Justice Sotomayor got a $1.2 million book advance from Knopf Doubleday, which is part of the Penguin Random House uh, publishing conglomerate. She reported the income. Then there were some more payments, about $1.9 million. And in 2013, Justice Sotomayor did what? Guess. She voted in a decision for whether the court should hear a case against the publisher called Aaron Greenspan versus Random House. And even Justice Stephen Breyer, Breyer, he recused himself after receiving money from the publisher, but Sotomayor refused. These payments continued into 2017. Penguin Random House uh, paid her about 500,000. So in all, it was about 3.6 million. Now, it's in her financial disclosure, fine, but, but it, she didn't recuse herself in a case where there was a, an interest directly tied to the person writing her million-dollar checks. So, I, listen, I, I mean, you tell me what the standard is. I want Joe Scarborough, I want the left to tell me what the standard is. And I'm fine going with whatever the standard is. But if it's, if it's good for the goose, it has to be good for the gander. It, ha it has to be evenly applied. This maddens me. Now, there are other, uh, I, and I have a list here. By the way, I've got to take a quick break. But, uh, oh, oh, Ted Cruz just torched Democrats about this in the Senate uh, two days ago. I, I, I'm going to play some of those clips. He absolutely went to town on it. And he is spot on. So I'll share that with you when we come back. Sam Rajofsky, you're listening to The What's Right Show. <music> Greetings, friends. Sam Rajofsky here, live and local, coming to you from beautiful downtown Las Vegas. 
Uh, Friends, uh, grateful to be with you as I am every weekday, 1 to 3 p.m. here on the station. So, uh, look, when I say it's common sense conservatism, I mean it. These criticisms of Justice Clarence Thomas, uh, okay, let's, let's get at it. Did this break any rules? Well, the short answer is probably not. He can't receive any, uh, he's got to declare anything that he gets. And by the way, they're finding this out, all this information on him through disclosures. So that's, you know, that's one thing to note. The other thing is, again, if, now if Clarence Thomas had been taking money from his friend, billionaire Harlan Crow. Uh, as we're discussing this news story that came out that um, uh, there's a young uh, boy, Mark Martin, who is the grandnephew of Justice Clarence Thomas, went to a private school, uh, a boarding school in Georgia, and um, apparently that tuition there was was paid for by Harlan Crow. This is all coming out. Um, all right. Can Supreme Court justices get money from outside people? The answer is Yes, of course, they can accept money. Uh, they can accept money for, for books. They can accept money for whatever they need. Now, what, now my question, the, the, the statement here that's very important is, what are they giving the person in return? So the missing thing here is, to me, is show me where Justice Clarence Thomas participated in a case that was you know, where, where Harlan Crow or this guy had a, a, a monetary or, or, or other interest. That's where it gets dicey. I mean, that's what's missing from all of this. You have pages and pages and hours now of media reports on this. But nobody's telling me, okay, all right, well, right here, this particular case, Justice Clarence Thomas failed to recuse himself. I just pointed to one that was uh, that was published uh, yesterday, last night, uh, in Daily Wire, where, where Justice uh, Sonia Sotomayor didn't recuse herself from multiple copyright infringement cases involving uh, publisher Penguin Random House, even though she had been given literally about $3.6 million by them. Uh, I would say if somebody writes you $3.6 million, you're going to have a certain allegiance to them, No. And I certainly think that an, a, a recusal in that case would have been appropriate. Didn't happen. And the same people banging and crying about Justice Thomas are, are overlooking this. So here on Tuesday is Ted Cruz absolutely torching the Democrats on the double standard. The attack that my Democrat colleagues breathlessly repeat is that Clarence Thomas stayed at the vacation home of a very close friend of his, a successful Texas businessman, flew on his plane, and went on his yacht. Well, if that's the standard, going and traveling and being paid for by others, then guess what? Just about every Supreme Court justice has done so, and done so in much greater numbers. Justice Thomas was appointed in 1991, and the time since then, he's taken 109 reported trips, five international trips. Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg was appointed in 1993, two years later, and the time she was on the court, she took 157 trips, including 28 international trips. Mr. Payne, yes or no, do you think Ruth Bader Ginsburg was corrupt? No. Nor do I. See, there it is. Now, he continued. 
uh, talking about Ruth Bader Ginsburg and saying how she was not alone. Ruth Bader Ginsburg was not alone. Justice Stephen Breyer, appointed the year later in 1994, took 233 reported trips, including 63 international trips. Again, yes or no, Mr. Payne, do you think Stephen Breyer was corrupt? No. Nor do I. I would point out Justice Kagan has done the same thing. Justice Sotomayor has done the same thing. And yet none of my Democrat colleagues care because this is a political attack directed at a justice they hate. And that right there is the critical component of this. Folks, the, the left is infuriated that they don't have the court. They are... Uh, they are still smarting from the three Supreme Court justices that Trump was able to nominate uh, and confirm to the court in, in, in a short, single, four-year term. They are absolutely, if you talk to, if you really, really talk to a, a radical uh, left-winger here in this country and you get them talking about the Supreme Court, they view the Supreme Court is this, is the last frontier here for them politically that they haven't been able to f- corrupt. And it, it, the power on the court slipped out of their fingers. So I'm going to tell you, it's the group of people who talk most loudly about democratic process, about, well, democracy itself, about ooh, respecting democracy, about votes mattering, right? All of this stuff. I know I made that up. Votes matter. What I mean is, you know, they're always talking about how every vote matters and 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 all those mean, wascally Republicans trying to disenfranchise people and 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 trying to subvert democracy and all this stuff. It, that's their whole shtick. That's what they always talk about. It's nonstop. But here, this court came into being as it's presently comp, uh, constituted through legitimate political means. And so, consequently, you would think, based on their rhetoric, the Democrats would be all for it. They'll say, well, we're not happy with the court, but, you know, this is is how democracy works. You know, it's how the cookie crumbles. Wrong. They will do everything and anything possible to erode, to question, to invalidate the conservative... Uh, leaning court that we have in place today. They'll stop at nothing. This attack here is not about Clarence Thomas. They just hate Clarence Thomas and want to do anything possible. They're already here two years in. They, 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 they haven't made any significant moves. They would love nothing more than to destroy uh, Clarence Thomas and have him, oh, I don't know, maybe, maybe, maybe enough attacks. They figure Clarence Thomas will go away or maybe he could be impeached. They've got the Senate. They could certainly try for that. But it's all so weak. It's so feeble. And that's why, by the way, the Senate right now, the Democrats are holding this, this hearing here and they've got, they've got this guy in there, uh, Kedrick Payne, who's the senior director of ethics at the Campaign Legal Center. They've got him testifying. And so they're, you know, so <laughs> Cruz is asking him these questions. He's like, no, 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 I, Ruth Bader Ginsburg isn't corrupt. No, 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 Justice Breyer, uh, you know, when he was on the court, uh, took, took, took money and trips. And, uh, no, no, he's not corrupt either. This is all, uh, this is all, it, it is absolute 
It is an absolute political hit. And we as Republicans need to be aware of this and and not relent on it. Now, of course, uh, what they don't know, some of these people don't remember uh, Justice Thomas's confirmation hearings, uh, where they really threw everything at him in the kitchen sink, and the man still stood tall and came through uh, with flying colors. And I, I have to tell you, there's not much that can... Justice Thomas has some thick skin, so bring it, fools. <laughs> You've met your match. All right, friends, a quick top of the hour here break, and we will be back in just a few minutes. This hour brought to you by Sam and Ash Injury Law. The What's Right show will continue in just a sec. If you've been in an accident, there's no reason to call a sleazy lawyer. It's not just about the settlement check. It's about representing your interests and your values. So call Sam and Ash at 702-820-1234 or visit samandashlaw.com. Greetings, friends. Sam Rajofsky here. You're listening to The What's Right Show, your place for common sense conservatism. Now, speaking of common sense, can you believe that the uh, COVID national emergency is just barely ending now? This is... <laughs> I, I You would think, uh, by the way, that... Uh, we would be over this, that this would be in the uh, very much in the rearview mirror, as it is, I think, for most Americans. And yet, and yet, uh, when uh, the press conference at the White House got around to uh, the topic of, this was yesterday, uh, concern over the, uh, the, the, uh, the state of emergency, COVID emergency ending, a reporter April Ryan uh, got up there and decided that she was uh, going to ask a a question. Now, I have to point this out just to set the scene here. April Ryan is a White House correspondent. She's the Washington bureau chief for the GRIA, which is a some kind of an African American uh, media group, and she's there and she's wearing a mask. She's in the room and she's wearing a mask. And this is the question: What happens to those who are uninsured when it comes to vaccines and the fear that since the the uh, declaration is lifted that people will not look at uh, getting vaccines thinking that COVID is over. Those two questions on that. There's a fear, we understand, that that could happen once, because every time, like when you say there are no more, you don't have to necessarily wear masks, people thought it was over. Um, and when the president said that we're not in the pandemic, people thought it was over. And now with the declaration being lifted. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You can, Corinne Jean-Pierre, this is a, I would call this a softball question compared to some of them she's getting from uh, Peter Ducey and others. Hey, look, uh, I guess if we lift, according to this woman, if we lift the uh, declaration, Emergency declaration, COVID emergency declaration. Now people are not going to be scared. And if people aren't scared, how do we get them to do things that we want them to do? How do we convince them to take the shot? And this is the insanity of it, right? That the the shot now, I think, I think it's been pretty roundly discredited, might have some therapeutic value but essentially doesn't do any of the stuff that it was promised to do. 
I mean, we're, it's not, didn't do anything for limiting transmission. Didn't keep you from getting COVID. I mean, how many people do we know that got the shot and got COVID? And in some cases, you know, I, I know people who never got COVID, got the shot, and then immediately got COVID. Uh, so, you know, the, the, and the, the studies are, you know, the, the, the data, trust me, the data will catch up to, and I, I strongly believe, substantiate all this, but even what we have available now uh, points to, really, uh, it's, it's it's almost nearly pointless to be vaccinated. We've all been exposed to this. We've all, our bodies have handled it. It's now a flu. I, I was the other day, God, I was talking to somebody about this. And um, yeah, I was talking and she, she's a hairdresser. This is how it came up. And she had, a, she had a client cancel on her because a client said that uh, she tested positive for COVID. And my my friend, uh, my my friend, I think I think her take on it was she was almost incredulous. She thinks that the woman is lying. She thinks she's making up an excuse. It's like a, the the easiest way to cancel on somebody left you know last minute is to say you know I'm sorry I tested positive for COVID, and everybody needs to forgive you for uh, not giving enough notice. Uh, but but you know the 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 funny thing is 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 I asked her I said is anybody at the salon is anybody worried about this anymore? Because in 2020, yeah, people were very worried, and certainly you know salons and things were closed for a period of time, and 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 then when they reopened, people were big on the you know did you get tested you know if you have a cough please don't come in. So I asked her I said you know among you and your colleagues is anybody even worried about this anymore? Because her job is a little bit different from mine. I mean, I meet with clients all the time and they come into the office and whatnot, but I, I'm not doing their hair. I'm not standing there right next to them, right? So I, I mean, it's, and, and the answer is no. This is my point. The answer is no, nobody cares. And the only people that do are these, these, these I mean, and now it's the left-winger kind of freaky people who, who really are, are sad to see this go. They are sad to let go of this, this power that they had over us. And they use that power not for good, but they used it for evil. And the worst part of it, and there's a fantastic piece today in, in Zero Hedge. Uh, the worst part of it is nobody's taking any accountability for all the BS that they put us through. Peter uh, Schwab, uh, which I think is a, a Czech name, uh, Peter Schwab, I think is what it is, but he's... Uh, writing here uh, in Zero Hedge, top officials who pushed aggressive COVID-19 policies tried to rewrite history. Yeah, of course. Some of the people most strongly associated with promoting lockdown measures during COVID-19 have recently sought to recast their positions. Examples include Anthony Fauci, uh, Randy Weingarten, we've talked about her, of course, and the clown puppet from Canada, Prime Minister Justin Trudeau. Fauci, when he sat down for an interview with the New York Times last week, was defiant. He said, show me a school I shut down. Show me a factory that I shut down. Never. I never did. Well, were we born yesterday? I mean, I mean, did we not witness this 
Got to be careful not to swear. This S show, did we not witness it for our very own eyes? What was going on? <laughs> Does he think we're dumb? Okay, he didn't. He, what he's saying, right? We're getting very technical here. He never, he wasn't the one that actually signed the document that, that shut everything down. He didn't actually shut down. Do you know how many people relied on his nonsense, on his on his glib, silver-tongued, lying little mouth, making stuff up as he went along, raking in millions of dollars in grant money, living the best part of his career while our kids, our seniors, our families, our economy suffered. You know, so many people would say to me, I remember this, well, you, you just don't trust the science. You don't trust the science. Got to trust the science. And now the scientists that were the science and now are basically shown up to be total frauds are saying, not us. It's not, we, we're sorry, it's, it's totally nonsense. We had nothing to do with this. Now, the author here of this piece in Zero Hedge writes, Fauci hardly missed an opportunity for a media spotlight, accepted accolades for supposedly leading the country through the crisis. Fauci boasted in October of 2020, early in the pandemic, it was he who recommended that President Donald Trump shut the country down. There you go. This was way before the major outbreak in New York City. So he was, he was the original ground zero uh, guy who was, who was advocating a shutdown and now is acting like it has nothing to do with him. And so the people, I mean, and he has defenders. Look at this reporter. I mean, she's literally crying about the fact that the COVID state of emergency is ending in, in, in May, in May of 2023. What is that? Three, three and a half years, <laughs> three and a half years in. I, I mean, I'm, yeah, I'm literally, I'm clutching my, my, my pearls over here. This is, this is, this is bananas. And so I, you know, it's important. We, uh, we hold, uh, we hold these folks accountable uh, and, and Fauci, uh, Fauci ought to be held to account. They're, they're, uh, I am convinced friends. I am convinced a hundred percent that this was a lot of his decisions, a lot of his recommendations that he made, will be charitable, recommendations that he made that were followed by people in power, including here in Nevada, Governor Sisolak, by Donald Trump, by Joe Biden. A lot of his recommendations were ultimately very self-serving and were designed uh, with a, a, a profit incentive in mind for his various enterprises. And the more that comes out about this, and there is uh, a panel of Republicans in the House looking into it, the more that comes out about this, I believe I will be, uh, I will be vindicated or I will be supported in my assessment here. So uh, friends, we're gonna take a quick break. I will be back. Don't go anywhere. The What's Right Show will continue. You're listening. To me, Sam Rajovsky here on News Talk 840 KXNT.
Sam Marjofsky here, Common Sense Conservatism, Monday through Friday, 1 to 3 p.m. here on this station. Uh, look, I, you know, when it comes to the trust the science crowd, I, I have to come back to this. It's such an important thing. How, how much did they berate us with this and for how long? Now we think about it. We think about trust the science. What does it evoke? The, the, the thought, it comes back to COVID, right? Trust the science on masks. Trust the science on social distancing. Trust the science on, on the vaccines. Trust the science on, on keeping your kids home from school for two years. Trust the science, right? It just was never ending. And earlier in this program, I was talking about the crazy things going on there in New York State where they've banned, uh, passed a law, the state legislatures come in and, and, and banned gas stoves, in fact, gas hookups by 2026 in most new construction, certainly in residential construction. And the basis for that too is more science. The problem though is that the science is flawed. The science is, and I mentioned there the studies that show that you know kids are more likely to suffer from asthma if there's a gas stove in the house. The, the pretext, right, the science behind these things, the pretext for passing these laws, we find out is heavily politicized. It's promoted, one of the studies paid for, the one at UCLA paid for by the Sierra Club, which is, you know, a group that wants to abolish the the use of of um, of gas, of natural gas, and other fossil fuels, and the same ultimately came down with the, with with the studies about the vaccines, and came up with studies about COVID. And all all the, all the data was flawed, and we they they berated us about it. They said the masks are, are going to work; it's the it's the end all be all thing, and we got into big discussions about it. And then when the real science came out. For example, with masks, you remember the, the study that uh, earlier in the year, I mean, just completely took down the notion. A, a mask, even, even an N95 mask, doesn't do a lot for you. It really doesn't. And it got, and it did, it all, and what did we hear about it from CNN? What did we hear about that from MSNBC? The only thing now that they're running are stories how we need to forgive and forget that we need COVID amnesty. We just need to let it go. Never in my life was my personal freedom so significantly attacked as it was during COVID. And I think on that basis, we can't stop talking about it as Americans and and particularly not as freedom-loving Americans, as conservatives. The amount of power that the government exercised over our individual lives was extraordinary and unprecedented. We can't just let that go. They messed it up from top to bottom. And now that we actually have real science that backs up what we knew all thought all along, suspected from the start, they shrug their shoulders and say, well, I never, I never did any of this. You're, you're, you're misrepresenting what I did. Randy Weingarten, who was the head of the American Federation of Teachers, the top uh, teachers union in the country, 
said, we spent every day from February 2020 on trying to get schools open. Remember that? Played that clip earlier in the week. We, it's not true. They, 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 oh, yeah, sure, they put out papers saying we were going to propose a reopening. But then they fought every actual effort to reopen schools. Any district that wanted to reopen, the teachers' union showed up and mad and angry. And again, prioritizing its membership over the well-being of the kids, the students, that teachers exist to take care of. My kids' uh, school, they weren't in it yet because we hadn't fully completed our move here to Nevada. Our kids' school reopened a year before Clark County Schools did. A year before. They made it work. They figured it out. They made it happen. I'll tell you why, because they weren't dealing with Randy Weingarten and her cabal of, of, of commie pinkos. We are still undoing the damage from all of this. The people that, the families that had funerals that they couldn't attend. Folks who lost their parents in one of Cuomo, Governor Cuomo's nursing homes. All the while, every night we watched Chris Cuomo, Andrew Cuomo yucking it up on CNN like a couple of hyenas lecturing us on how on their moral superiority on their leadership yeah both of them out of work now total totally completely morally corrupt individuals and andrew cuomo still hasn't been held criminally responsible for sending so many seniors to their deaths when he decided to send covid positive patients into nursing homes it is, it is disgusting. So yeah, we are going to continue talking about it. And every time that one of these clowns gets up there like Fauci and says, oh, we didn't do anything, we didn't do anything wrong, and we try to do our best and all this stuff, I, I, don't, I don't buy it, not for a minute. Total hogwash. Now, friends, when we come back, I want to I draw your attention to a candidate, and I mentioned him earlier, Vivek Ramaswamy. This is a guy who is... Uh, I, he really has the it factor. And as conservatives, as Americans, as Republicans, I think we, we need to pay attention to him. Now, he's, he's, he's up in the polls. He's up to 5%. Mentioned this in the last, I think it's the CBS YouGov poll. He uh, has a, 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 well, a relatively meteoric rise where he's polling in line with Pence and now better than other Republican establishment candidates. He's not an establishment guy at all. And there's a great piece in the New York Post by Miranda Devine about how Ramaswamy's vision is America's, America first, and it's uh, America first even more so than Trump. Now, Miranda Devine is not a big Trump person, so I take that with a grain of salt. But the point is, if there's somebody here to pay attention to that you're not fully aware of, it's this guy. And he is taking it all on. And in a, in a, I will say this, I, he is absolutely uh, extremely eloquent, extremely well-spoken. And I, I really, what, what I do, I sympathize with his, or I identify with his story. He, like I, uh, like me, is a, um, a son of immigrants to this country. 
And there's something about us, you know, when, when we watch our parents uh, sacrifice everything to come to the United States and we're raised by parents who, are, who, who take none of this for granted, right? Who know that, that, that out there in the world, it, it, it's a lot worse. And they, they, they teach us at home uh, about American exceptionalism. There, there's, you know, we have a perspective I have this perspective. He has this perspective. And so I want to share a little bit of some some headlines that he's making when we return. Don't go anywhere. I will be back. You're listening to the What's Right Show. Sam Rajofsky here, News Talk 840 KXNT. And of course, miss any portion of the program. Go to the podcast, wherever you get your podcast. Look at the What's Right Show. Be right back. Personal injury law is constantly changing. Uber and Lyft accidents aren't like other cases, but most law firms haven't kept up. Don't trust a new case to a lawyer who's stuck in the past. Call Sam and Ash, 702-820-1234, or visit SamAndAshLaw.com. Welcome back. You're listening to the What's Right Show. Sam Rajovsky here, your host, reporting for duty. Yes, my coffee is uh, half consumed over here in my uh, Sam and Ash mug, so I'm I'm uh, it's starting to it's starting to circulate in my veins the caffeine. So buckle up, California, the crazy state to our southwest. <laughs> they um they set up they they set up this reparations panel right to determine how many how much money. Uh, should go to its black residents. Now, never mind that California was never, ever a slave, a slave state. Um, uh, they have embarked on a uh, quite a far-reaching plan to uh, help people affected by the uh, pernicious, well, how do they put this? The effects of discrimination. There we go. Now, San Francisco has its own scheme. I'm going to talk about this here. But the news today is that the California uh, reparations panel has come out and said that the state of California owes its black residents $1.2 million apiece. Now, by way of history, California entered the union as a free state in 1850. Again, none of that matters. Um, Another part of history, which is very important, is that in the uh, in the pre and post, particularly post war period, Southern California in particular, but also NorCal, was a place of tremendous opportunity for Black Americans uh, that migrated there, came there from the South, uh, where there was a, a far more discrimination, and uh, found a new life and a successful lives in California. So, so the, the funny thing here to me is that California historically, uh, going back uh, to the middle of the last century, is, was, a, was a place of, of, of a financial uh, and, and I would also say of, of, of social opportunity for black Americans. So what will come of this? Well, uh, these appointed individuals, I think it's only five people on this panel, or can only make a recommendation. So ultimately, this will go to the state assembly and to the governor's desk. But I, gosh, who's going to pay for this? California can't just borrow money from China. So this is, I mean, this is $800 billion to pay for this all. Absolute 
Uh, bananas. I, <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't want to be a taxpayer in California right now. This is... I do you th- I think yeah I think some of this is going to come come to come to fruition absolutely Now it is astounding to me all of this talk of reparations is astounding to me because of course and I've mentioned this several times to you folks is that I you know I that if you go back far enough wrongs are committed against our ancestors in my family our family, my parents, grandparents, great-grandparents, suffered tremendously under communism. What the Russians and their allies in Eastern Europe did to my family is awful, and it's fairly recent. Nowhere at no time are the Russians paying, or the communists paying us, any kind of reparations, okay? But there's another part of this, and that is that this is a direct frontal attack on American exceptionalism and on the concept that we are all created equal. The notion of what it means to be an American is something that my, I tell you, this guy is somebody to watch. Vivek Ramaswamy, he's an investment guy, uh, tech entrepreneur. Uh, He is the first, I think, first Republican millennial to run for president. He's a young guy. He's even a, he's a couple years younger than me, in fact. So he's a young guy. And here he is talking to Jackson County Republicans in Iowa on April 21st, talking about precisely the idea of what it means to be American. Notice it has nothing to do with any form of dependence. Let me tell you what it means to be an American. It means you believe in the ideas, the vision that set this nation into motion 250 years ago, that you believe in ideas like merit and excellence, that you get ahead in this country, not on the color of your skin, but on the content of your character and your contributions. That is why I became the first U.S. presidential candidate in history to say that, yes, I will end race-based affirmative action in America because it is a cancer on our national soul. Now, I could also add to this, of course, by the way, spot on, right? Everything he says here is true. Our departure away from a merit-based system of awarding resources and moving it toward a identity-based system, which, by the way, this whole idea of reparations, that's a, that's a part of it, right? The, the, these reparations that are being given, not being given on anything uh, particularly tangible. Were you specifically affected by racism? Were you specifically affected by slavery? No, it's on the basis of what your skin looks like. The problem with this is, uh, it is, um, it is a very er- erosive. It is, er- it erodes our very, the very basis of what our country is and was founded on, and it's maddening. Talked about this many times, and by the way, I I like his head-on approach to 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 attack the concept of affirmative action, which I think is 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 just an awful system and only 
uh, increases racism and racial tension in the U.S. Does nothing, by the way, does nothing uh, to to move us toward being a colorblind society. Any emphasis on race, any measure of race as a means of, of awarding uh, school positions, jobs, etc., all these DEI people, you know, diversity, equity, inclusion, these are all people that promote racism, not fight it. Yesterday, I mentioned the importance of immigration in our country, not, again, based on whether the person coming into the country is white or black or this color, that color, but based on their competence, based on what they can contribute here when they come to the United States. The same ought to be true for a, a hire at a company, for a student entering a school. I don't care what gender they are. I don't care what color they are. I care about their competency. A lot of the pain that is coming in our economy is that we have given important jobs to people in part on the basis of how they look, in part on the basis of their in some cases, immutable, and others, mutable, very much changeable, identities. Your identity doesn't mean anything. And we stop looking at identity, and we get to the actual place that the left purports it wanting to get to, which, by the way, I, I, I agree with the, 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 the preferred stated goal, which is to have a eliminate racism, etc. Right? It's a good goal. We just we fundamentally disagree on how to get there. Racism goes away when race stops being a factor. Why in hell's name would you have the state continue to make race a factor in virtually everything? I would tell you, today versus 10 years ago, we make race a bigger issue. We make your sexual identity a bigger issue. We make your differences a bigger issue than they, than they ever were perhaps in the last 30 years. The last little bit here, folks, we're going off the deep end in obsessing about things that have no bearing on what your contribution is to society. And so when Ramaswamy here, who is running for president, he's one of the declared Republican candidates, not a lot of people talking about him yet, but I want you to remember me talking about him here and now because I think this guy's going to move up in the polls. Because he's talking about merit, the, the return to a meritocracy, which is vital, necessary for us to reclaim American greatness. All right, got to take a quick break here. Sam Rajofsky, you're listening to News Talk 840 KXNT. I will be back in just a moment. Sam Rajovsky here, News Talk 840, KXNT. So checking in on the status of the uh, race here. Uh, still early in the primaries. These numbers are bound to change. Uh, polling, not a whole lot of uh, recent polls here. We had some at the, um, at the early end of the week. Looks like there's some numbers from Arizona, from Tennessee. President Biden job approval number, disapproved plus three, not a big surprise. 
Uh, so in Arizona, Trump plus 28. Tennessee, Trump v. Biden, no surprise, Trump is up by 16. Tennessee, DeSantis versus Biden, DeSantis up by nine. So um, these are all, you know, this is all uh, as to be expected. Now we had, I'll tell you, we had the uh, Republican matchup here on Tuesday. The 2024 CBS News YouGov polling, uh, Trump was at 58, DeSantis uh, at 22, Pence at 5, and Ramaswamy, Vivek Ramaswamy at 5% before it was, he was sub 1%, so he is uh, rising in the polls. Look, I don't know if he's going to get the nomination or not. It's, it's a long shot bid. But he is saying some truly spot-on things and is getting noticed by conservatives uh, in the media. He announced his bid, by the way, on Tucker. Uh, so that was, you know, that, that was a phenomenal interview, by the way, that happened. Now, being pro-American, he's the son of immigrants from India. He talks about this. Uh, yesterday, he posted a Twitter video, and I think it's worth while playing it. It's just about a minute long, but it's, it's, it's his position on merit and what it means to be American. And it goes uh, really to the heart of the argument that I think we as conservatives ought to be making, uh, particularly in these times as we are fighting the present Democratic Party. Listen to this. The dividing line in American politics today is not between Republicans and Democrats, certainly not between black and white, certainly not the divisions that they would have you believe in this country. I think it has to do with whether or not you are pro-American or are you anti-American. To me, being pro-American means that you believe in the ideals that set this nation into motion 250 years ago. Do you believe in basic ideas like merit, free speech and open debate? Do you believe in the importance of self-governance over aristocracy? This is part of what it means to be American. Are you willing to stand behind policies that advance those principles? Or are you, as I think many people in this country, some people in this country increasingly are, anti-American insofar as it means that you're apologizing for the existence of those values? And this is, uh, folks, apologizing for America. This is something that the left is very good at. <laughs> I remember as a kid, I remember as a kid, uh, you know, again, growing up in a home where my, my, my parents were both immigrants, came here in 1977 and had me three years later. So I uh, vividly remember uh, going to school and hearing from kids about how terrible America is and then coming home and talking to my parents about it. And their, you know, reaction to it, of course, was <laughs> this is total nonsense. I mean, my my mother grew up in what was Czechoslovakia, is now the Czech Republic, then lived in France, then lived in Holland, and then came to the U.S. So more than the average American, she lived in a few different countries. And America on its worst day, and she would even say this now, America on its worst day, even with these complete lunatics in power, is still the best country on the planet. But we have to remember what made us great. The reason that they, and I say they, I point to the crazy liberal Democrats now who are in charge 
uh, of certainly the administration, much of our Congress as well. Uh, these are the kids there behind the scenes pulling the levers, you know, operating the 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 uh, the the puppet strings that control Joe Biden. He's just kind of going through the motions, you know, Mr. Magoo. But the people behind the scenes, I mean, these are real fanatics. And the reason that if you you were to talk to them, you know, off the record and say, tell me what you really think about America, you know, and they'll tell you this is America's a racist country, America's a terrible country, America is broken. That's what they would say. It's fundamentally broken and we need to fix it. It's the same thing with the environment. The environment's broken. We need to fix it. And what their fix is when it comes to America as a whole is completely reimagining who we are styling us something akin to a, well, we'll call it a European socialist country, right? That's the world that they, that's, that's the country that they would like us to become. Now they're, you know, America didn't just over the last 250 years go from nothing to one of the most incredible countries in the world, if not the most incredible country. And I'm talking in terms of its, its growth, right? Its achievements, um, it's, you know, econ- economics, right, certainly a part of it, the economy of, of what it was able to build. But, I mean, the number of, of scientists, right, the number of scholars, the number of, of, of inventors, right? You look at tech. You look at what's, what's happened in Silicon Valley and elsewhere across the country, right? You just, it's all coming from, it's all coming from one place overwhelmingly. So when we say America's great and it's the best country in the world, I mean, these are the, those are easy, things that are easily said. But you can you can look at some, you can look at you can there's metrics that you can you can you can look at and, and, and that substantiate it, right? So why did that happen? Well, one of the things that I, again I'll say this: one of the things is that America's been a place where people have come from all over the world, and they, they've come here because they know this is a place that has opportunity for them, where they can be something and go somewhere and follow their dreams, pursue their individual self-interests. And then, if they succeed, enjoy the fruits of their labor. Now, the equity people, you know that word, equity, the equity people, they don't like that. They don't like the profit incentive. They don't like that, you know, that guy over there has more than the, than the guy next to him. They're not interested, by the way, that the guy that has more worked harder, took greater risks, got up in the morning, you know, went to the gym, and then proceeded to go to work and, 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 and kick a money money. They don't care about any of that. What they care about are the results. They, they care about the lack of equity, among Americans, and yet it is the individualism here. It is the, the merit-based system of awarding who gets what here that is the best in the world. It's the freest in the world, even today, still remains this way. And I'll tell you, the reason I like what Vivek Ramaswamy is doing here is he is talking about ideas. He's not getting himself caught up in policy. Policy is great. Politicians, these guys, most politicians out there, by the way, one thing I like about Trump, he doesn't get bogged down with this either, right? Politicians, got these guys that 
they started out as class president in high school and then they then then they you know ran for some little office somewhere in a city council in their little town and then ran for a state assembly and then from state assembly they got into congress and from congress they got into the senate you you know what i'm talking about these are career politicians and they get tied up into policy and thinking this is good that's good but what they're missing is most of them have no comprehension for what is the big picture the why behind the policy and the why behind the policy is you gotta you gotta get back to the roots and and ramaswamy saying this you gotta get back into the ideals as he puts it the ideals that set this nation into motion 250 years ago. Merit, free speech, open debate, all of this, right? These are things that 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 he's pointing out to some that, that matter. And he's absolutely right. And I think, you know, I, I, I'm absolutely, you know, what, look, whether he gets a nomination or not, it's very important to have a voice like this in the Republican primary. And I'm, I'm pleased that he's there. All right, that's the music. We got to, we've got to get moving here, folks. I will be back tomorrow. Tomorrow's Friday. We're moving right along here. Have a wonderful day. I'll see you then. You're listening to The What's Right Show. I'll be back.